0: How busy are you with your life? How busy are things with you? How much time do you have to focus on what's going on around us in the world, but also what's going on spiritually? Do you realize that we're just over six weeks until the Feast of Trumpets? Two months from tomorrow evening... Eight weeks from tomorrow evening is the opening night of the Feast of Tabernacles 2018. Are you ready for that? How much are you looking forward to these fall festivals? Fall certainly in the northern hemisphere. In the southern hemisphere there happen to be uh, springtime festivals. But how much are you looking forward to them? How thankful are you to understand what these fall festivals portend? What they mean? For the people of God and for the people of the world, why are you looking forward to these festivals? For those of you who have kept these feasts for many years, and and many of you in here have kept these feasts for many years, many times before, what can you do to make sure that these festivals, these feasts, are the most meaningful this year? That you've ever celebrated? What can we do to make sure this year's feasts will be deeply spiritually rewarding and powerful tools for our own personal spiritual growth? You know, if we're not careful, we can roll into the fall festivals starting in about six weeks and go through the motions once again and come out the other side. And think, oh yeah, that was a good fall festival season. That was a good Feast of Tabernacles. Now I'm looking forward to the Passover. And we might not grow through them like we should. If we're not careful, we can approach these holy days and think, oh wow, you know, it's I'm, I'm excited. But here's just another set of fall holy days. For me, this will be my 48th fall holy day season. There are some of you in this room that have... Spent more than that, but most of you haven't. And I hope for those of us who have, we can get excited about these fall holy days. This is an exciting time of year, both from a holy day standpoint and from the plan of God. What should we do right now? What can we do right now to ensure that the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles and the Last Great Day truly are meaningful spiritually this year? Brethren, what I'd like to do in the sermon today is to help answer some of the questions that I've just posed. But I'd also like to give you a few actions that you can begin to take right now, if you haven't already, to help ensure that the fall Holy Day season this year is the most meaningful set of spiritual Holy Days you have ever experienced. As we get started, would you turn in with me please to Leviticus chapter 23. And let's look at the question or a- answer the question, does God expect us to be excited about attending these Holy Days? Leviticus chapter 23 Most of you know and understand that Leviticus 23 is the chapter in the Bible where the holy days are given the most focused attention. We have the most detail of the holy days in this chapter of the Bible. Certainly they're mentioned elsewhere, they're described elsewhere, but the detail comes in in this chapter. So does God expect us to be excited about these holy days? You know, over the years I've run into individuals who've been in the church for decades And they're sort of ho-hum about the holy days that are coming up. You know, I've done this for decades, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but you know, it's just another holy day season. God doesn't want us to be ho-hum about these holy days. He wants us to be excited about them. He's excited about them. Let's look at Leviticus 23. We're going to break into the description of the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement, as most of you recognize, is the one holy day every year, the one feast day on which we actually fast and do not physically feast. It's a fast day from sundown to sundown, 24 hours without food and without water. And I think it's important to keep that in mind as we read the command here. Leviticus 23, verse 32, it says, It shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest, that is, this day of atonement. Shall be a, a, a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. We won't take the time to go into that today, but this phrase, afflict your soul, as most of you recognize, does mean we should fast on that day. We should do it from evening to evening. It says, that then you shall rejoice, excuse me, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. You shall celebrate your sabbath this this holy day is a celebration if you have the king james version the old king james version you know that it says you shall rejoice in your sabbath even in this day this solemn day of fasting god wants us to celebrate and to rejoice and we'll come back to it in a few minutes this holy day actually happens to be if you can have a favorite holy day, they're all wonderful and awesome in their own ways. This is one of my favorite holy days, the Day of Atonement. And it's because of what it means. Let's continue. Let's go on to verse 40, 4 and we'll read that together. This is now talking about the seven-day feast of Tabernacles. Uh, it falls f- about five days after the Day of Atonement. Verse 40, it says, you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall what? I'm in the New King James Version. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Notice what it says here and what it does not. It doesn't say you shall rejoice if you feel so inclined or If you feel motivated to, you could rejoice, or it would be a good idea to rejoice. No, we actually see it in the form of a command here. You shall rejoice. God wants us to come to his Feast of Tabernacles. And part of the command in assembling for his feast is to rejoice before him. And we frequently have messages at the Feast of Tabernacles that talk about that precisely. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy 12 a chapter and a few verses that also talk about the feast of tabernacles here Deuteronomy 12 and we'll we'll read we'll begin reading actually in verse 7 it says and there you shall eat this is where god chooses to place his name we are told to go to the feast of tabernacles where he places his name not where we want to go not where we would like to go, but where his feast sites are. And he places his name through his church. <clears throat> Verse 7, there you shall eat at this feast before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. He wants us to go to that Feast of Tabernacles to rejoice. And he says, in all that you've placed your hand. Why? Why? Because it's the hard work that we put forth all year long. Working to dutifully save our festival tithe, that second tithe, to put it back. So that we can use it to help rejoice. God has thought of everything in his plan. Verse 12, skipping down. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters. And your male servants and the Levite who is within your gates since he has no portion or inheritance with you. God wants the whole family to go to the place where he places his name and to rejoice before him as we keep his feasts, and particularly right here, the Feast of Tabernacles. <clears throat> if you haven't done so in a while, if you, if you need some more information on the Feast of Tabernacles, I encourage you to stop by the information table after church or jump online and, and look at our booklet on the Holy Days God's Master Plan. We begin to outline the details of each of these holy days and and what they really mean. A long time ago, Mr. Herbert Armstrong correctly taught that if we lose track of the holy days, we lose track of the plan of God. His holy days rightly, clearly outline his plan for mankind. And celebrating these days helps give us a clear picture of what the plan of God is all about. So God wants us to rejoice. He wants us to be joyful about his feasts. He wants us to be excited about them. What I'd like to do with the rest of the sermon now is give you several ways that we can ensure that we will enjoy and be excited about this year's fall festivals. Several ways that we will learn from these fall festivals and grow through them. If you're looking for a title for the sermon, by the way, I've entitled it Spiritually Preparing for the Fall Feasts. Spiritually Preparing for the Fall Feasts. And so I'm going to give you several points now, actions, action steps, that you can take beginning right now to spiritually prepare for these fall feasts to make them the best and most meaningful you've ever experienced. Action number one, what can we begin to do? Action number one is to pray for the fruits of, of God's holy spirit pray for the fruits of God's holy spirit or you might say pray pray for more fruits of God's holy spirit let's go to galatians chapter 5 and I'll try and explain a little bit why this is so important and why praying for the fruits of God's holy spirit matters in relationship to these feasts galatians chapter 5 In verses 22 and 23 outline the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. And as we read through these, I'd like you to think personally, how do these fruits relate to the fall Holy Days? And if I have more of the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, how will it impact my experience with the fall Holy Days? Galatians 5 and verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is, what? Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. How do these fruits relate to the fall holy days? Think about it. Satan is continually working and will be working to attempt to ruin our fall festival experience. He wants to throw us a curveball, a spiritual curveball, along the way, usually in the form of trials, in the hope that it will make our fall holy days miserable. Pre-feast trials will come. They may have already begun for you. Trials like health problems, family deaths, robberies, natural disasters, all kinds of things. But think about how These fruits can help, weather the storms, weather the trials that are very likely to come. Several years ago, we had a minister and his family whose home was broken into a week before the Feast of Tabernacles. It was in another country. But the home was broken into, ransacked to a certain extent. Things were stolen. And I remember some of the brethren, local brethren, coming up and saying, you're not going to the feast, are you? The minister and his wife said, well, of course, we don't have a choice. We're going to the feast. And some of the brethren said, well, how can you go to the feast? Somebody might break into your home again. Of course, the comment was twofold. Number one, God can protect it. And number two, they've already taken what they're going to take. We're going to the feast. But it was that perspective. It was the peace that they derived prior to that with their faith in God. It was the joy that they had. To be able to go to the feast to celebrate a time of peace on the earth. To reflect on a time during the Feast of Tabernacles that points to the future when Jesus Christ is going to be on the earth and there will be no more stealing. They realized fully, exercising the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, how powerful going to the feast would be for them spiritually. Several years ago, again, Another couple, I remember traveling to the feast, I don't remember if it was in the panhandle of Florida or in Texas, but they were, as they were traveling, they were heading through Atlanta, Georgia, and their car broke down on the way to the Feast of Tabernacles, and they brought it to the shop, and they realized it was going to take a week to get the parts and get the car fixed, and... They also realized, you know, the car is not broken to the point where we can't drive it a little bit. We could just drive it home, back down to central Florida or something like that. And they realized, no, that's not what God wants. They had to go to the feast. So they left the car at the shop and they rented a car and they went to the feast. They wanted to be there. They wanted to experience the joy that would come, the peace that would come from going to the Feast of Tabernacles. As we think about the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, have you ever um, been preparing for the Holy Days, perhaps gotten up on the morning of a Holy Day, and maybe been in a bit of a bad mood, maybe short on patience, patience with your wife, patience with your husband, Patience with your parents, patience with your children, maybe short on patience with your brothers or your sisters. Probably most of us have experienced that, especially during the Feast of Tabernacles. We've got eight or so days where we're in confined quarters with each other all the time, and people can get on people's nerves more easily. You can see where having some more of those fruits of God's Holy Spirit are even more important. That spirit of peace, that spirit of joy, that spirit of patience, that spirit of kindness and gentleness and self-control. Praying for the fruits of God's Holy Spirit is very important at this time of year. and We're going to talk about that some more in some of the other points. But praying for and consciously exercising the fruits of God's Holy Spirit are important, especially during these fall holy days. Important for us. And important for all of those we will come in contact with. As we're exercising the fruits of God's Holy Spirit as well, we're, we're going to be in a state of mind that God can impact in a much more powerful way. How willing are you to be taught? I've got to ask myself the same question. How willing am I to be taught when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated, when I'm impatient? <clears throat> so as we exercise these fruits even more, God's going to bless our experience, and be able to teach us a whole lot more during these feasts. Let's talk about another action that we can take as we prepare spiritually for these fall holy days. Action number two. Action number one was pray for more of the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. Action number two is take time to meditate on the fulfillment of the feasts. Meditate on the fulfillment of the feasts. Think about what these feast days mean. What do they point forward to? What do they mean for you and for your family? What do they mean for all of mankind? Think about the world today and how different it will be. When these holy days begin to be fulfilled... I like to encourage people to focus on the contrasts. Focus on the contrast between the world today and tomorrow's world. There's a difference, isn't there? And the more we focus on the contrast, the more we can begin to see into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Reviewing the festivals is important in the meaning of the festivals. Let me give you a couple of tips on how to do that. Like I mentioned earlier, we do have the booklet on God's holy days. You may want to review that on your own. One of the things I personally like to do at this time of year is to review the Bible study course. And it's actually lessons 16 through 20 of the Bible study course. You may want to pull those out and look at them in detail. And each of those lessons focuses on a different one of these four holy days. You may want to go back, those of you who have copies of the old Bible Correspondence Course and review the four lessons on the Holy Days that they do as well. But to take time to sift through the scriptures, to meditate on the scriptures about what these Holy Days mean and what they point to can help these days become more real. You know, years ago I was in a congregation and a longtime church member came up to me. It was around the time of the Fall Holy Days. <clears throat> and he said, you know, I've, I've kept these Holy Days for decades, but you know, it feels like going through the motions. They just don't seem real to me. Brethren, we have in our hand the opportunity to make these holy days seem real, to to make their fulfillment seem real, but it takes effort. So I encourage you, begin now, putting that effort in. Let these holy days, with God's help, come alive to you even more. These holy days represent our hope. These are what we are pointing forward to as first fruits in God's church. Let's review real briefly the four fall holy days. We're going to take just a couple of minutes and do this. We'll look at a couple of key scriptures. If you want to find out more, again, review the documents I've told you about. Show up for the holy days. And you're going to hear sermons and messages helping make them more real as well. Let's talk briefly about the Feast of Trumpets. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll take our example from there. The Feast of Trumpets, an annual Fall Holy Day that begins the Fall Holy Day season, as I mentioned, just over six weeks away. And I might ask, what do you look forward to about the Feast of Trumpets? What do you look forward to about the Feast of Trumpets? What remarkable events are going to occur in the future on this day? Why is this day, why is this Feast of Trumpets and its fulfillment so critical for all of humanity? I think you know the answers, but let's review together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <clears throat> we'll start reading in verse 50 about one critical element of the Feast of Trumpets. Verse 5:0. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And brethren, this is a mystery that we hold dear, but that as you well know, most of the world doesn't understand yet. A mystery that when it comes to pass, when it is fulfilled, will change the world in the lives of billions. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or all be dead. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. One of the amazing, fantastic events that will occur on the Feast of Trumpets in its ultimate fulfillment is, as you know, the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. But not as a human being, not like the first time. He will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords with a shout, riding on a charger, with a sword in his hand, with the sound of a trumpet heard round the world. He'll come back like lightning, unable to be missed. And he'll usher in his kingdom. This will happen at the end of the day of the Lord. A one-year-long worldwide tribulation where death and destruction will happen. will be brought on in part by humanity and brought on in part by God. But Christ will return. And those who are saints, those who He's called the firstfruits, will rise in the air to meet Him when He returns. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ rise first, and that will be followed by the living in Christ. us, This holy day begins the fall holy day season. It begins the ushering in of the kingdom of God to the earth. Brethren, how excited are you for this day and the fulfillment of this day? How badly do you want Jesus Christ to return to the earth and change this world? Five days after, excuse me, ten days after the Feast of Trumpets, we will celebrate the Day of Atonement. Let's briefly review the Day of Atonement. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. Again, this is a unique and special holy day because it's a day of fasting. It's a day when God's people fast in part to loose the bonds of wickedness as Isaiah talks about. It's a day when We look forward to another incredible event. Jesus Christ will have just returned, but he can't take his rightful place on the earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords until the current King is gone, until the current God of this world is gone Satan the devil. And so that's what this day points us to. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and he shut him up. And he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while the Day of Atonement <clears throat> pictures, as most of you know, a time when Satan, the devil, and his demons, and we know from Revelation chapter 5 that there are at least 50 million of them, 50 million, a time when Satan and his demons will be removed from the face of the earth. They'll be bound up and bound in a way where no longer will Satan be the prince of the power of the air who's able to work in the sons of disobedience. He will no longer have power over nations, power over thoughts and ideas and feelings and emotions. His power will be removed. He will no longer be the God of this world. There will be a new God of this world Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Satan, who is the father of lies, the one who is the originator of war and murder. And was the first murderer, the scripture tells us. He'll be gone for a thousand years. Can you imagine how different the world will be when there is no more Satan the devil? When there are no more demons carrying out his dastardly deeds? When the motivations behind society, behind the construction of buildings, behind the construction of music, behind the construction of all things, when, when that influence is gone, and it's no longer his influence on the world, but it's the influence of God's Holy Spirit on society. What will that be like? Mr. Lyons talked today about the pressures <clears throat> that we can feel from society, from life in general. A good bit of that pressure is exacerbated. It's fanned into flame. By the God of this world and made worse and intensified. How different will it be when He can't do that anymore? The Day of Atonement points us to that time the beginning of a thousand years of peace unprecedented. The next holy day, five days after the Day of Atonement, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's look at another scripture. We're using just a few scriptures to to briefly summarize. The Feast of Tabernacles, we'll spend seven days, sermons and sermonettes delving into the details that the scripture has to tell us about this coming millennial period, this thousand-year reign of Christ and the saints on the earth. But Revelation 20, stay there. Let's pick it up in in verse 4. Verse 4, says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them. And judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witnesses to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads nor on their hands. These are the saints. They lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Then it tells us the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. But these individuals who live and reign with Christ for a thousand years during this millennial period, this thousand year period of peace on the earth, this is the first resurrection. And it says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. We've got a booklet that talks about this, the world ahead. What will it be like? This glimpse Into what this thousand year time of peace will portend for all of humanity. This time that we are called to help usher in, a peace that we're called to help bring to the world. Can you imagine what it will be like to heal the world? To bring healing to minds and hearts. This was talked about in the Sermonette. To bring healing to bodies. How about to bring healing to the earth itself? To help God build for the first time ever a society on the earth that He has designed, perfect in every way. We're called to help with this. We're called to do this. To work with several billion people that come through the Great Tribulation and to show them for the first time in their life what it means to learn to live according to God's law and the blessings that are inherent in it. Can you imagine how different the world will be when the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled, when the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled on the earth? I mentioned a couple of minutes ago about one of our ministers and his wife whose home was broken into right before the feast. I know people, as you do, who've had their homes broken into during the feast. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. What will it be like in the kingdom of God when there there are unwalled villages? Because there's so much peace. When there is no more stealing to worry about. How often do we worry about stealing? We worry about it all the time without even thinking about it. We lock our doors to our homes. We lock our cars. We have, have some of us bars in, on our windows and our doors. I know brethren around the world who lock themselves in their homes with padlocks every night. You know, the security business outside the United States is probably one of the biggest employers in the world, especially in the developing world. Everywhere you go, there are security guards. What will it be like to have a world with no locks and no keys? Think about it. We have everything locked. Our phones are locked. Our computers are locked. What will it be like to have a world without passwords? Because everything is locked. How much simpler will life be? When the kingdom of God, when... The world tomorrow is called the world today, as the song lyrics go. This is what the Feast of Tabernacles points us to. We need to capture an even clearer, cleaner, more detailed vision of this time. Let's look at the last great day real briefly, John chapter 7. And again, we look at one scripture. I don't have the time to go into and delve into the details, of this but in approximately nine weeks we'll be at the last great day and you will have the opportunity to hear not one but two sermons on that day that relate to the topic of the day please plan to be there please plan to be there for both of those services it's a commanded assembly God wants us there and if we leave early we will be missing out On inspiration that God has put into the minds and the hearts of His speakers, so plan to be even at that last great day for both services. John chapter seven, verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight. Jesus Christ was involved here. John seven and. Verses 37 and 38. Now on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood out and He cried out, saying. This is the eighth day that's being talked about. This Scripture is critical and it makes the connection to the meaning of the last great day. To the day number eight. Without this Scripture, we would have no understanding of what day eight means. We would just know there was a day eight. This is a truth that even some of the churches of God today have lost. The meaning of the last great day is connected right here. <clears throat> John 8 verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the day that is pointed to by Jesus Christ. This is a day that's pointed to by many scriptures. This is the day that's explained in Ezekiel chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. Mr. Weston talked about that in last year's Last Great Day sermon. This is the scripture, this is the time that's talked about in Revelation 20 later on, a time when all those who've ever lived and who have died and who've never been called yet will be resurrected in this second resurrection, this great resurrection. Billions of people. And for the first time in their life, their minds will be open to the truth of God. And they will have the opportunity to understand the truth that you and I have today. We are such a little group. Dr. Meredith used to talk about how we're we're half of a peanut shell in the Pacific Ocean. We're so tiny. But we know this truth. You know, we have children's Bible class after services every other week or so, and you see them line up here in the front of the room. Brethren, do you realize that the kids in the front of the room who are under four feet tall understand a truth that the overwhelming majority of humanity ever has never known? This is an opportunity not not the second chance, but the first chance for human beings to have the veil removed from their eyes and to see there is one way of life. They're going to have the opportunity to live by the Ten Commandments. All those who are resurrected live by the Ten Commandments for the first time in their life, most of them. To experience the weekly Sabbath for the first time in their life in a world where saint and the devil doesn't exist in a world where they will see their teachers members of the God family who will help them and show them and lead them and encourage them to hopefully make the same choice we're being challenged to make today the choice to choose God's way of life the choice to be baptized the choice to let God dwell in them with his holy spirit and one day they too will be changed In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, then they will become full members of the God family too. What a vision. Brethren, at the time pictured by these holy days, the fulfillment of these holy days is truly real to us. We will not be able to help being excited and joyful about keeping these magnificent holy days. We will want to get up early, to come to a double service on the holy days, to hear the sermons and the sermonettes and the special music that help our minds focus on the amazing fulfillment of these awesome days. Action number two, as you prepare spiritually for the fall holy days, action number two is to take time to meditate on the fulfillment of these feasts. Take time to meditate on the fulfillment of these feasts. Review them. Study them. I'm actually going to give you an activity you may want to do. Sometimes we look for practical ways to make God's kingdom more real. Here's one that I heard about years ago. We've done it from time to time with our kids. Um, But this is an activity you can do with kids, with grandchildren. But you can do it with adults too. And brethren... Don't think you're too old for an activity like this. You might actually want to do it. It will be helpful. Grab a phone book, one that has yellow pages in it. If you don't have a hard copy, jump online, and you can look at a digital copy. Grab a phone book, and you can start in the A's at the beginning of the yellow pages, or you can jump into the middle somewhere. And I would suggest grab a pen. Or a pencil, something you can see through, uh, but it, but something you will also see on the paper. And the hard copy is actually best if you can do this. And begin talking. You know, if you're single, get a group of singles. It's a great conversation to have on a Friday evening at dinner time, or on a Saturday evening after church. Get a group of people together and talk about some of these things, and begin to go through the phone book and talk about which of these businesses in the yellow pages will not exist. In the kingdom of God. I like taking a pen or a highlighter and putting it through, just putting a line through it or an X through it. Because it's a real powerful visual to help us begin to realize how different society is going to be in the kingdom of God. You know, you start off in the A's and one of the first things you cross through is Abortion clinics. And then you cross through, what's another one? Attorneys. You're going to put a lot of X's in the phone book. Because there are a lot of attorneys. But think about it. When the law of God permeates the land and covers it as the waters cover the sea, when God's way of life is so simple as ten commandments, and we begin to keep Not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, you get rid of the loopholes. You don't need attorneys anymore. You have law teachers, God's ministers, his priests, but you don't need attorneys anymore. You begin to go through other parts of the phone book. And I, I challenge you be critical. Don't just make the assumption, oh, this will be in the kingdom or this won't. No, think about these different jobs and these different businesses. You know, we talked about stealing a little bit ago. You go to L and you look up locksmith. Not picking on anyone who might have interests or have businesses that way. It's something we need in the, in the world today. But guess what? None in the, in the world tomorrow. We don't need them. Imagine a world without locks. We don't, if we don't have locks, we don't need keys either. Anymore, And then you begin to think about things that relate, like fences. You might need some fences to keep in some animals, but not to keep people out anymore. Think about it. This is an interesting activity. I challenge you, if you want to make God's kingdom in these fall holy days more real, you might try this activity. I think you'll have fun with it. But it can help you see more clearly into the coming kingdom of God if you do this. <clears throat> I encourage you, as you think about these spiritual aspects of the holy days, try not to fall into the trap of being consumed by the physical aspects of them. Yes, God does build in physical, important physical aspects of the fall holy days. Many of us will be traveling to distant places that we don't normally spend time in. We need to enjoy the physical, but don't let the physical override the spiritual. Okay, what's another action you can take, we can take, to prepare for these fall holy days, to make sure and help ensure that they're some of the most meaningful spiritually we've ever experienced? <clears throat> action number three is planned to give during the festivals. Plan to give or plan to serve during the festivals, uh, not only the 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 annual holy days like trumpets and the day of atonement, which are just days, but the feast of tabernacles as well. Plan to give, plan to serve. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Most of you or many of you may know where I'm headed with this. We actually have words from Jesus Christ here. But Acts chapter 20. And we're going to break in... to verse 35. Acts 20, 35, it says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. Those of you who've been around the truth for a long time, have attended the Feast of Tabernacles for a long time, know that your most meaningful feast of Tabernacles experiences are the ones where you've chosen to give. You've chosen to serve. Not just go and experience, but to give and to serve. Let's look at another scripture that's related, Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> Matthew 20, again, the words of Christ here. As he's encouraging the disciples, or actually Christ's example, I guess I should say. Matthew 20, verse 26. Matthew 20, verse 26, it says, Yet it shall not be so... Let's verse 25. Jesus called them and said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Verse 26, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served... But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We all understand Christ came to set an incredible and a powerful example for us. He didn't come to the earth to take. He came to give. He gave for three and a half years of his earthly ministry. And certainly no doubt before that. He will come back to give. We will spend a thousand plus years giving 24 hours a day, seven days a week to the human populations on the earth. As we rehearse for the kingdom of God, as we we do that at the Feast of Tabernacles and during these holy days, we want to give. We want to serve even more. And there are many ways to do that. I want to throw out a few for you to think about. And then I encourage you, In your groups, in your families, talk about, plan for some different ways to serve and to give at the feasts. How will you do that? How do you plan to serve? Don't just show up and think, oh, I'll I'll figure it out when I get there. No, talk about it ahead of time. Because when we talk about it ahead of time and we plan ahead of time, it will happen. It will be something we can pray about. It will be something that we can prepare for and we'll be able to serve even better Once we get there, here's some different ways to serve and to give at the feast. Certainly, we can serve uh, and give with our offerings, and we will be taking up offerings on all of these holy days. That's one way to serve. It's one way actually to give back and give to the world because these offerings are used to help preach the gospel to the world as a witness. But what are some other ways to serve and give? One way is maybe to take someone out for a meal. Some of us have a little bit more in terms of our festival tithe. And we can afford to take people out. Others may be a little tighter that way. Look for opportunities to do that. Maybe even think ahead of time. Don't plan it all out because you don't know who you're going to meet at the feast. But think about some people you might want to take out during the feast. Perhaps someone new. Someone you've never met before. Someone who cannot return the favor. Who may not have some of the same resources. Another action t- in, many of us do this is invite someone or some people over for a meal during the feast. You know what's interesting? Most of us, as God's people, love to eat, don't we? And during the festivals, we typically have a little greater resources for that we can use to help us eat even more enjoyable things. But food is the wonderful equalizer, isn't it? And it's a conversation starter. What wonderful conversations have we had in the past over food and drink? Think about who you might want to have over for a meal. I know one of the things we're looking forward to at the feast site we're headed to is uh, they're going to do a progressive dinner during the feast, and we're looking forward to hopefully helping serve in that, having multiple people over. Some of you done that at the feast before. Uh, and It's an opportunity to meet all kinds of people maybe you've never met before, What's another way to serve or give? You know, sometimes we don't think about it this way, but sitting down and listening to someone who has trials and encouraging them is a powerful way to serve at the feast. You've been to the feast many times before, those of you who've attended before, and you've probably brought trials with you and you've struggled. And you've had people come up to you at the feast who've helped bolster you and encourage you and lift you up. What a wonderful way to help people, other people, your brothers and sisters in Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ. What a wonderful way to serve them at the feast, to sit down and to listen and to encourage, encouraging them to hang in there, to be patient, to remember some of the lessons that we heard actually in the sermonette. Remember to go to God, run to Him, climb underneath His wings. Let him hold you tight. Let him fight your battles for you. He's the God who will never leave or forsake you. And it's a promise. A promise from a God who can't lie. Encouraging others is a powerful gift we can give at the feast. A powerful way to serve.
1: Other ways to
0: serve. Maybe offering someone a ride to the Feast of Tabernacles. Or once you get there, there are people who are able to get to the feast but don't have transportation back and forth from where they're staying to where we meet for church services, or maybe not to an activity. Offering to give a ride is a wonderful way to serve. And usually, as you give someone a ride, conversation starts up. And we make friendships and we build relationships. <clears throat> Here's another one. And sometimes, again, we, we take this, uh, we, we, we may take it uh, for granted. But greeting people at services joyfully and with a smile. Interesting way to serve. Greeting people at services joyfully and with a smile. What does it feel like to you when you come into a service and somebody greets you at the door and gives you a warm handshake or a hug and says it's good to see you? Happy feast. Happy Sabbath. And is able to talk to you about it. I'll give you a hint. Doing this, greeting people with a smile and joyfully is a lot easier to do when we prepare for it. When we get up in the morning on a holy day early enough so that we can pray and do our Bible study and maybe at the feast review our sermon notes from the day beforehand. If we go to bed too late, roll out of bed, jump in the shower, get dressed, throw something down to eat and then rush off to services We haven't grounded ourselves spiritually yet. God's Holy Spirit has not been activated very well. And being joyful and greeting people with a smile is going to be much more challenging. We're going to be rubbing our eyes and just trying to stay awake. So preparing well enough every morning will give us the opportunity to do that, to be positive, to be joyful when we interact with God's people. And you know, as I do, when you're positive or you're around positive people, it becomes contagious And it spreads. And it's a blessing. Another action we can take is get a list of shut-ins who cannot attend the feast. Get a list of shut-ins who cannot attend the feast. And then send them a note. Send them a card. Send them flowers. Call them. Do some of that. Because there are people who can't go. Sometimes for financial reasons. More often it has to do with health reasons. But they get... They they end up staying in the local church area and can't travel to the feast. Sending a note, making a phone call during the feast helps them know they're being thought about. It can be really encouraging. I would expand that. Those of you who are not able to attend the feast for whatever reasons, get a list of the shut ins who can't attend the feast. You too can help make their feast. You can write cards. You can make phone calls. If there are a number of shut-ins in the area, you can actually get together for a meal or two during the feast. Even get together on a holy day and listen to either a streamed sermon online together, or you can listen to a CD or a DVD together. Just because you're shut-in doesn't mean you have to be alone the whole time. I know in the Charlotte area, we've got a number of you that won't be able to be physically at a feast site, but you can still connect with and encourage each other. And I encourage you to do that. Plan for ways to do that. Those are ways that you can help give and serve during the feast, even if you're not physically there. Another way to give during the feast is to look for opportunities to get to meet people of another generation Get to know people of another generation, young people, teenagers. Get to know some of the older people. Learn from them. Ask them questions. Older people, get to know some of the teenagers and everybody in between. Ask some of those questions. Prepare. You know, at the the summer camp, Mr. Smith and I had the opportunity to teach a class on speech communication. And one of the tips that Mr. Smith gave to our campers is to create a list of ritual questions. I'm seeing some smiles in the audience. You remember what he talked about. Ritual questions. These are the kind of conversation starter questions that can lead to either a shallow conversation or a deep conversation. As we think about building relationships with people at the feast, we need to be thinking about, ahead of time, some of those ritual questions. Questions like, so how did you come into the truth? That's a great one. Because it creates an opportunity for a conversation. It will go on and on. And you can ask all kinds of questions in the midst of it. What are some of the most important lessons you've learned at feasts in the past? What are some of your favorite things about God's holy days? Which holy day is your favorite and why? And what do you look forward to about the fulfillment of it? As we think about serving others and giving to others... Part of that's creating those relationships and preparing ahead of time really is important. It makes it much easier. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look there together. As we think about how to better serve and give at the feasts, during the feasts, and we can do this on the annual holy days where we are here, but also the Feast of Tabernacles where many of us will travel. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God wants us to hold fast to our hope, what we believe in and what we're looking forward to. Verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Building those relationships at the feast, giving and serving, helping others, encouraging others. These are all tools that we can implement and use during these feasts. And they'll actually help us grow. They'll help us stir each other up to love and good works. I know I'm not the only one who, in years past, some of the most powerful messages I've heard actually have not come from the pulpit. They've actually come from conversations that have taken place after services or before services or over a meal or, frankly, with a little child. Not to put down the messages that, uh, that the ministry are preparing and, and delivering. Those are powerful as well. But the conversations and the relationships really can help point us in a more exciting direction at the feast. <clears throat> okay, so point three was plan to give and serve during the feast. Action number four. What else can you do to make sure you have an even more meaningful fall festival season? Action number four is to focus on the spiritual. Focus on the spiritual. Yes, the physical needs to happen, as I've mentioned before. It's probably a good thing to nail down our accommodations, and where we're staying, if you haven't done that. You need to figure that out if you don't know where you're headed for the Feast of Tabernacles this year. You need to figure it out. Make a decision so that you can physically plan and not be at the last minute trying to figure it out. We need to get some of those physical things done so that we can focus freely on the spiritual. The Feast of Tabernacles in particular does have physical aspects. But we need to make sure that they don't overshadow the spiritual if it's too physical, the feast becomes just a vacation. And we miss out on what God is really trying to teach us. <clears throat> Keeping a spiritual focus, preparing spiritually now, focusing spiritually now and going forward, it's a powerful uh, responsibility, an important responsibility that parents and grandparents have, especially with younger children. So I encourage you do that help your kids, help your grandchildren if they're younger. Focus on the spiritual aspects of the up-and-coming holy days. <clears> 1 <throat> John chapter 3. As we think about focusing on the spiritual, 1 John chapter 3, John helps us remember something very important. And again, this is I'm not turning to the scripture because I know you don't do it. I know you do these things, but I think we need to remind each other And be reminded to not neglect some simple things like this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 21. We'll start here. 1 John 3 verse 21. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. One of the things we need to ask for as we prepare for the Fall Holy Days is for God to help us focus spiritually. We need His help to focus spiritually. And we want to ask for that. Ask for Him to stir up His Holy Spirit. Ask for Him to help you see into His kingdom with more detail, to become more excited about it in the right ways as we think about focusing spiritually brethren, we need to plan to learn spiritually during these holy days. We need to plan for spiritual learning. Years ago uh, when my dad was pastoring I grew up in his congregations and he would um, encourage his congregations to attend these fall festivals expecting to learn and grow. And He would make the observation, he said, you know if you show up during the feasts, and you you show up with a little tin can that you want to fill up spiritually, you'll fill up the tin can. But do you want to only expect to fill up a tin can with spiritual lessons and spiritual learning? Or do you want to fill something bigger? Maybe a bucket. But why stop at a bucket? Why not something bigger like a wheelbarrow? Or a 50-gallon drum? Or a swimming pool? Why show up and only want to learn a little bit? If we prepare spiritually, if we're praying to God, God, help me learn, help me grow. Help me see things from your word that I've never seen before. David made that similar prayer. Help me, great God, see wondrous things from your law. God, help me. I may be keeping your feast for the 10th or 20th or 30th time or the first Help me see what you want me to see. Help me internalize even more what you want me to internalize. Help me not see it my way. Help me see it your way. If we're praying that way, God will help us. We need to fervently pray for God to inspire the speaking and the hearing. To inspire the special music. To inspire the fellowship. Those are really important things. I, I learned a long time ago that the more I prayed for the speaking, the more I heard and the more I hear. And I don't think it's because God answered the prayer the way I prayed it. And What I mean is the more we pray for the speakers, the more our attitude changes in how we hear. And we can pray about that too. God, help me here. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see. Let's go back to First Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19 is an example of a situation where an individual had to listen carefully to hear what God had to say. That individual was Elijah. Just a little bit of background on the situation. You recall the situation, the, the interaction that Elijah had with the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel where They sort of had a face-off. whose God is bigger, God or Baal? And Elijah gave them all day long to try and get Baal to light this fire. And they cut themselves and jumped up and down and hooped and hollered. And Baal was on vacation or something, as as they were teased. He he didn't light the fire. And Elijah took and had, had this fire doused, drenched twice with water He prayed about a 20-second prayer, and God brought fire down from heaven and engulfed everything, including the wood and the stones and the water. Powerful miracle. And then Elijah had the 450 priests of Baal killed. And then Queen Jezebel sent a message where she wanted him killed, and he scattered. He hid. He went and he hid in a cave, and he prayed to God. And we're going to pick it up right here in... 1 Kings 19, verse 10. 1 Kings 19 and verse 10 says, So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. This is Elijah talking, hiding in this cave, trying to stay away from Queen Jezebel. For I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek my life. God, I'm the only one left. And Jezebel has a death sentence for me. And what happened? Verse 11. Let's continue. God said, he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the eternal. And behold, the eternal passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Now, Some of you have been through hurricanes before, tornadoes. Even some of the strongest don't break rocks in pieces. This was a real wind, a powerful wind to break rocks. But it says, the Lord, the Eternal, was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake came. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after uh, that, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And when it was... When Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's interesting. What we see here, God brought powerful miracles, if you will. Attention-getting actions. But it says God wasn't in them. It was when the still, small voice came. That God was in it. You're going to go to the fall festivals this year. And I predict you will hear some powerful messages. God will shout from the mountaintops in a sense. He will speak powerfully through His servants. But not all of His messages will be powerful. Some of His messages will be quieter. Quieter. They'll be through his still, small voice. Some of them may be through speakers who aren't quite as articulate or aren't quite as animated. But the power of the message will still be there if we have the ears to hear. As you prepare spiritually for the fall feasts, I encourage you, pray for the ears to hear. Pray, yes, for the speakers that God will stir them, motivate them, guide them, help them step out of his way so he can speak through their mouths. But pray that you and that, frankly, we need to pray that all of us can have the ears to hear what God says in whatever way He says it. Proverbs talks about how wisdom cries aloud in the streets. Sometimes those messages are literally in the mouth of a toddler. Powerful messages. Sometimes the messages are in the lyrics of special music. Sometimes the messages are in the mouth of someone we have a conversation with after services or at a church activity. We need to be willing to hear, yes, the powerful, but also the still, small voice that God often speaks through. And I know you know that. Ezra, chapter 7. Ezra. I love this passage. To me, this is so motivating. Here we have Ezra the priest getting ready to head back to Jerusalem after the captivity in Babylon. And he's preparing himself for his future role. Notice how he prepared. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. We'll just break in here. Ezra 7, verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, And to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. He prepared himself for his role that was coming up. And in this particular case as a priest, he was going to be a teacher and a leader. But before he did it, he didn't just jump on a camel and head to Jerusalem. He prepared his heart to seek the law of God. And brethren, it's interesting We know the law of God is going to permeate the kingdom of God. It will be the backbone on which the kingdom of God is built. As we meditate on the kingdom of God, the law of God actually gives us a glimpse, a greater glimpse into what that kingdom is going to be like. But let's all pray together as we prepare spiritually for these days that God will prepare our hearts to seek Him, to hear Him, To be malleable, to be teachable during these fall holy days. To be able to grab and to be able to take in everything he wants to give us spiritually. Brethren, God does expect us to be excited and joyful about these fall holy days that are very rapidly approaching. These feasts, as we've talked about and as you will continue to review, picture the Culmination of God's plan for all of humanity. These feasts point to our hope. They are what we look forward to and should look forward to most as Christians. Attending the Feast of Tabernacles, participating in it even from a distance, is a foretaste of what God's kingdom will be like when Jesus Christ returns to the earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a contrast, a powerful contrast with the world that we live in today. Brethren, we can ensure that we will have a wonderful, spiritual fall festival season this year, despite the physical trials that may come along the way. And we can do this if we truly yearn for the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom on this earth. Again, I encourage you, Review some of the literature that we have on these holy days. The booklet on the holy days, God's master plan. The Bible study course lessons. Start going through those now. Looking up those scriptures now. Meditating on them now. If we wait until right before the Feast of Trumpets, we may not have time. And we're going to have a whole lot of ground to cover and catch up on as the holy days come very rapidly at that point. So I encourage you. Do some study. Study now. Get your head and your mind around those spiritual lessons now. Also, I encourage you to fast before the holy days get here. To draw closer to God. Don't wait until atonement to fast. Fast soon. To help yourself focus even more. To get your mind and your heart right. Pray like Ezra did as you fast. God, help my heart be ready. Help my mind take in what you're preparing as we fast. Fasting is a powerful tool to make ourselves more open to God and what he has prepared for us. I encourage you, brethren, get started if you haven't on the four actions we talked about today. Number one, pray for more of the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. And be praying about that now and through the fall holy days. Number two, study and meditate on the meaning of the feasts now. Begin that study and that review and that delving in now. Number three, plan to give and to serve during these fall holy days. And number four, focus on the spiritual. We have got to deeply yearn, brethren, for the fulfillment of these days and what they point us to. If we do, we will be excited and have a wonderful spiritual fall festival season. Despite the roadblocks Satan sets up. We have to listen, brethren, closely for the message that God wants us to hear, for that still small voice as we've talked about. Brethren, the fall holy days are almost here. They're just around the bend. Don't let yourself get caught up in the world around you. Don't let these sneak up on you. Keep working hard to spiritually prepare for this year's feasts to help make them the most meaningful festival, fall festival season you've ever experienced. As we prepare and prepare well, brethren, they will be the best we've ever experienced. We'll rejoice in a way we never have before, and we will make our Father in Heaven proud.